My name is Mark Woodhead. I'm a respiratory physician in Manchester in the UK. I have a long-standing clinical practice and research interest in respiratory infections, particularly pneumonia. Until 2009, I was the Guidelines Director for the European Respiratory Society, and prior to that, I had been head of the Infection Assembly. I'm an associate editor of the European Respiratory Journal, and I am the chairman of the ERS and ESCMID Lower Respiratory Tract Infection Guidelines Committee. It's therefore perhaps appropriate that today I am going to be introducing you to two forthcoming papers in the July edition of the European Respiratory Journal, which are both about antibiotic prescribing for lower respiratory tract infections. Lower respiratory tract infections are, of course, a very common condition and are one of the most common conditions for which antibiotics are prescribed, especially outside hospital. And it's that area that both of these studies deal with. Antibiotics have for a long time been one of our cornerstones of the treatment of lower respiratory tract infections. And until recently, we were less aware perhaps than we should be about the possible harmful effects of antibiotics. Of course, now we are only too well aware that inappropriate use and overuse of antibiotics is potentially very harmful, particularly because of the propensity for this to lead to the development of antibiotic resistance, which then compromises our ability to treat patients. European guidelines have been produced and were published in the European Respiratory Journal in 2005 for the management of adults with lower respiratory tract infections, including those in the community. The first of the papers that I'm going to introduce to you from Wood et al. and entitled Antibiotic Prescribing for Adults with Acute Cough, Congruence with Guidelines, sets out to see how frequently prescribers use antibiotics in congruence with the ERS ESCMID guidelines. The study was conducted by members of the GRACE Network of Excellence. GRACE stands for Genomics to Combat Resistance Against Antibiotics in Community Acquired LRTI in Europe and is an EU-funded network of excellence. The network includes 14 primary care research networks in 13 European countries. These countries are Wales, England, the Netherlands, Spain with two networks, Germany, Hungary, Belgium, Poland, Italy, Sweden, Norway, Finland and Slovakia. In this study, the researchers captured data on adults presenting to general practice. They looked specifically at whether antibiotic prescribing was congruent with the guideline recommendations. And the guideline recommendations list six patient subgroups where prescription of antibiotics should be considered. These are those with suspected or definite pneumonia, those with uh, selected patients with exacerbations of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, patient, 
patients aged 75 years with fever, those with cardiac failure, those with insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus, and those with serious neurological disorders as comorbid problems. Patients were collected during two periods, October to November 2006, and then January to March 2007. All 14 networks took part. This included 387 practitioners who recruited a total of nearly 3,500 patients, 3,402 to be precise. Six networks included 270 patients or more. The patients had a median age of 48, 36% were male, and 6% had COPD, 2% heart failure, and 5% diabetes. Antibiotics were prescribed in just over half, 53% of the total patients included. Only 2,690 could be included in the analysis, about four-fifths of the total. The researchers found that in the majority of cases, prescribers acted congruent with the guidelines. To be precise, in 64.9% of patients. In 45% of patients, congruent prescribing occurred. In other words, the guidelines recommended an antibiotic for this group and an antibiotic was prescribed. In 20% of patients, congruent non-prescribing occurred. In other words, the antibiotics recommended that an antibiotic shouldn't be given and the prescribers did not give an antibiotic. The biggest group of non-congruence was the 26% with non-congruent non-prescribing. This meant that the guidelines recommended an antibiotic should be prescribed and prescribers didn't prescribe an antibiotic. It's interesting, in fact, that in the majority of patients included, if the guidelines had been correctly applied, in 71% of patients, an antibiotic could have been considered, a bigger proportion than those to which an antibiotic was actually given. This, at first sight, is counterintuitive because you might expect that the guidelines would recommend antibiotics to be given to a smaller group of patients than those to which antibiotics were actually prescribed. This raises questions both about the study population and also about the guidelines. First of all, could the study population in some way have been non-representative? One of the strengths of the study is the large number of centres included in the study covering many different European countries and also, and also the large number of patients included in the study, suggesting on the one hand that it should be representative. However, the study did rely on patients presenting to the general practitioner's surgery and did not include patients seen out of hours. The patients who were originally recruited but not included in the analysis were less likely to receive an antibiotic, suggesting a small amount of bias in the cases who were included. What about the guidelines? The authors of the paper correctly conclude that the uh, recommendations in the guideline are 
somewhat vague and imprecise. Well, of course, the guideline has very much to rely on the published available evidence. And although it's such an important and large prescribing area, very little research has been conducted in the area of lower respiratory tract infections in the community and when antibiotics should and should not be prescribed. So the recommendations for antibiotic prescribing in the ERS-SMID guidelines are based very much on consensus rather than a robust evidence base. And this could mean that the recommendations are not as accurate or as robust as they should be. Although not analysed in huge detail, it's interesting in the paper the differences in antibiotics that were prescribed and differences in different countries. Tetracycline or amoxicillin are the two antibiotics uh, recommended by the ERS-ESCMID guidelines for adults with lower respiratory tract infection. And one of these two antibiotics was prescribed in 43% of patients. This ranged from uh, 89% of patients seen in Utrecht to only 10% of patients seen in Milano. Of course, there are big differences in antibiotic resistance in different parts of Europe, with it generally being higher in southern Europe than northern Europe. So this may be one reason for this difference, although it was not the purpose of the paper to explore reasons for the differences. Overall, I think it is encouraging that in the majority of patients, prescribing was congruent with guidelines. Of course, we would like the figure to be much higher. The authors have been very careful to use the word congruence because it was beyond their methodology to assess exactly why individual practitioners prescribed the antibiotic that they did. We do not know whether the practitioners had read the ERS-ESCMID guidelines. We don't know whether they had read any other guidelines. Maybe that doesn't matter. Nobody is suggesting, and least of all us as guideline writers, that all prescribers should read our guidelines. As long as the guidelines translate into practice, either because they are used to support national or local guidelines or because the prescriber reads the guidelines themselves the guidelines will have done their job as guideline writers we have more work to do we need to try to make our guidelines more precise but we can only do this with more robust evidence on which to base the guidelines and we therefore need more robust research to help us I'll move now to the second paper that I'm going to introduce. It comes from the same group from the GRACE network, this time with the first author, Butler. And this paper is entitled Antibiotic Prescribing for Discoloured Sputum in Acute Cough, Stroke, Lower Respiratory Tract Infection. When deciding whether to prescribe an antibiotic or whether to withhold an antibiotic, a practitioner has to rely on the features provided by the patient in front of them. Historically, the production of sputum, and particularly the production of coloured or purulent sputum, 
has been used as a guide. It has long been thought that sputum purulence is associated with the presence of bacteria. The presence of bacteria would be expected to correlate to a response to antibiotics. A number of research studies have confirmed that sputum purulence does correlate with the presence of bacteria. And a small number of studies suggest that this is related to antibiotic response. Most such studies have been conducted in patients with COPD and not in patients with LRTI in the community. So the GRACE network of researchers set out to examine whether the colour of sputum was related to antibiotic prescribing and to see whether that antibiotic prescribing was associated with outcome. At the same time, they looked at the presence of the symptom of feeling generally unwell and sought to identify whether this also was related to outcome. This was an observational prospective study. It was not an interventional study. A total of 3,402 patients recruited by the same 14 networks in 13 countries were analysed. 2,419 patients, in other words, two-thirds of those recruited, who had both usable uh, diaries and uh, reporting forms were included in the analysis. Of these patients, 26% were producing yellow sputum and 19% green sputum. 80% were feeling generally unwell. 37% of patients were producing green or yellow sputum and also felt generally unwell. Only 6% had COPD. The main findings of this study were that patients with purulent sputum were more likely to receive an antibiotic than patients who had no sputum or those who were producing sputum that was not discoloured. Those who were feeling generally unwell were not prescribed antibiotics any differently to those who were not feeling generally unwell. So it did appear that practitioners were guided by sputum purulence, but not by patient unwellness. In the second part of the study, the authors investigated the relationship between sputum colour and response to antibiotics. Very interestingly, and perhaps discordantly with other studies, they found no relationship between symptom resolution, antibiotic treatment and sputum colour. Nor did they find any relationship between the severity of general unwellness and sputum colour. Uh, sorry, general unwellness and response to treatment. The results of this study perhaps fly in the face of accepted practice. As I indicated earlier, the published evidence on sputum purulence, bacterial presence and outcome is most closely related to COPD and the most research has been done in this area. 
the group of patients included in this study included very few patients with COPD. And it appears at first sight from this data that the relationship with sputum purulence and outcome may be different to that when just looking at a population of patients with COPD. Of course, this was an observational study. It was not an interventional study. The strength of it being an observational study is that it was able to recruit a large number of patients and it is more likely to reflect routine practice because of the absence of large numbers of exclusions. The association that's been identified or lack of association between sputum and purulence and outcome does not imply cause and effect from this sort of study. To assess cause and effect, a randomised controlled trial would need to be conducted, comparing antibiotics and placebo in patients with purulent sputum and those without purulent sputum. And no such study on this sort of size in this group of patients has as yet been conducted. The study from Butler et al. means that there is an urgent need for studies of this sort because without this we will not be able to answer this question. Unfortunately, the findings of the Butler study cause more problems than they help because they suggest that practitioners shouldn't be relying on sputum purulence to guide antibiotic prescribing. But unfortunately, the study does not provide an alternative, and we have no such alternative at the moment. So a randomised controlled trial or randomised controlled trials need to be done to help us in this area, to tell us whether the results of this observational study can be generalised to the whole population of adults with low respiratory tract infection that we see. In the meantime, current practice probably shouldn't change, although we may be a little more sceptical about prescribing antibiotics to all patients who have purulent sputum and a little more reassured about withholding antibiotics in patients who don't have purulent sputum. There is maybe some promise on the horizon for the use of, for example, near-patient tests using biomarkers such as C-reactive protein or procalcitonin. Maybe tests like this will replace our symptom-based guidance to antibiotic prescribing. However, we don't have the evidence base to support the widespread use of these tests at the moment. Of course, the use of such tests would bring in additional cost and studies would need to be done to prove cost-effectiveness of such tests if these were to replace symptom-based prescribing. It's not uncommon for research to throw up more questions than it answers. And both of these studies described today seem to have done this. The studies emphasise again how little we know objectively about the management of this very important topic of lower respiratory tract infections in the community. And these studies argue very strongly that research funds should be urgently directed to this important population so that we can clarify some of the questions raised by these studies to improve prescribing for the future, to improve outcomes for our patients and 
hopefully in the future, to reduce the problem of antimicrobial resistance.